Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page, and for other great shows, visit engineered.network today. I'm your host, John Chidgey, and today I'm joined by special guest, uh, Mr. Casey Liss. How are you doing, Casey? Hello. How are you, sir? I am, I am doing well, but how are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm I'm totally awesome. Uh, we're actually recording this in the middle of the day, my time, which is yeah. Great, so which... I was I was about to ask because you are in the future, as far as I'm concerned. So it is what Wednesday where you are? Uh, yes, it is. It is Wednesday morning, and it is uh, ten fifteen in the morning. So yes, uh, indeed. Time zones, man. How do they work? <sighs> yeah, if only the world was flat. Um, but depending on who you ask, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, let's so, not go there. Yeah, let's not go. No, let's not do that. Um, so one of the things I've, I've been, people have been asking for me to talk about uh, on the show for for quite some time uh, is metric and imperial, and I've sort of dodged the subject. And um, you know, because I, I listen to some shows that you're on, and um, I thought it might be a nice topic to uh, to sort of um, yes have a have a little chat about metric versus imperial. So. What do you think? Well, we, the... we certainly can, but the problem is there is no conversation to have because there's Imperial and then there's other silly units. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I guess the thing is, mm, oh, start coming out swinging. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, I, I guess I would just want to sort of start with what specifically I mean. I guess I'm talking about four things in specifically I want to talk about, and that's uh, length measurements, temperature measurements, weight measurements, and time. And yes, I threw time in there just for, you know, <laughs> you'll see why it makes me so angry later. But anyway, so the thing with metric is that metric was originally, uh, a, the concept anyway, was created by some guy called Gabriel Mouton. He was a vicar of St. Paul's Church in Lyon in France. And that was back in 1670. And the proposal was a, a decimal system of metric, you know, like base 10. You know, the idea is one one level of unit scale to the next could be achieved by shifting the decimal point. And you don't have to do any complicated maths in your head because who likes doing math in your head, right? It's like, gives you a headache and stuff. But maybe we got calculators these days, but back then they didn't. I guess they had abacuses. <laughs> they had abacuses. Anyway, so, you know, obviously, so the metric, um, sorry, let me start with the imperial thing. So one foot contains 12 inches. So to get to two feet, um, you've got to multiply the 12 by two to get 24 inches. Uh, whereas, you know, in, in metric, you, if it was one meter and one meter, you just say, well, that's 100 centimeters. It's had two zeros and you got centimeters uh, or 1.1 meters is 110 centimeters. So just shift the decimal point, fill in the zeros and that's it. You don't have to remember your two times table anymore, which I guess is good, lazy. I don't know. <laughs> Pick bit. one. Bit of both. Yeah. So it's supposed to be quicker anyway. But the thing was, it wasn't actually, um, it was during the French Revolution, that was uh, about 1790, um, the National Assembly of France requested the Academy of Sciences there to create a new standard that was simple and scientific. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> and um, meter actually is, is actually the French derivation of a Greek word, which is metron, meaning a measure, which really doesn't tell you anything. Oh, never mind. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's kind of weird, eh? So it's like a measure, a measure of what? But never mind. Anyway, um, and in the fun, one of the funny little foibles, French versus the rest of well, is it the rest of the world? I know in the United States it's spelled M E T E R, mm -hmm. um, as in a meter. 
Um, whereas uh, in France, it's M-E-T-R-E. And I, what I'm not clear on is whether or not that's the same in the UK. It's definitely the same in Australia. So we would, we would write M-E-T-R-E. But um, it always gets me because the spell checker on like pages or Word or whatever you're using always flags it. And you're like, oh, that's set to a North Americans. Got it. So <laughs> you look at the red squiggly line under you halfway through. Oh, document. yeah. <sighs> but, but I mean, to Americans, or to, to Americans, do Australians really understand how to use the English language? Because I mean, I have, I have several Australian friends and I will never quite understand how one makes the leap from McDonald's to Macca's. Like, how did that even happen? I, uh, mm, mm, I mean, mm. breakfast to brekkie <laughs> is a stretch, but I can get behind it. But Macca's is just out of left field. Well, um, is Mickey D's, is that supposed well, to that, be? Is no, that, I can do that. I can do that. You can do Mickey D's. Yeah, I guess I can mm-hmm. see that. Macca's. Yeah, you're right. I just, <sighs> mm, okay. <laughs> you got me. I just, I honestly don't know. Um, I think that McDonald's is, yeah. Isn't McDonald's struggling these days? I hear rumors. I don't know. Oh, who even knows? They 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 flip flop. They're they're doomed as often as Apple is. I'd say, and and yeah, it doesn't right. ever seem to be real. But mm. I don't know. And and I poke fun at at, at Australians. Truth be told, I, uh, everyone I've known, every American I've ever known who who has gone to Australia has pretty much come home to America and said, "Yeah, I'm going to move there one day." So <laughs> I, I come out with my with my uh, guns blazing just for for the entertainment of it. But uh, but I'd love to get down to Australia one day. The problem is you have to time travel to get there and it takes like 300 years but but i would love to do it once upon a time you've just been spoiled because you can fly within your own country within a few hours pretty much anywhere and you know it's like uh, that's just yeah and you're closer to you to europe right so you can jump a plane in a few hours be europe and and i'm like it's actually not yeah it's not too much further to london than it is to say san francisco it is further to london for sure but it's not that different yeah, exactly. Whereas I'm, I'm sort of stuck, right? Because wherever we go, <laughs> it's a long way. Yeah, it's islands like, are tough, man. Man, I mean, it's pretty and all, and I love it. But, geez, international. Except travel. all the animals. Yeah, well, and all the thing- animals can kill you. That's the thing with Australia, right? Like everything around you is pretty much intent on murdering you. Probably not the people, but everything else. Or at least that's the stereotypical, like like dumb, ignorant American. Hello, uh, version of Australia is. Oh yes, their scorpions are the size of cars. Their spiders are the size of houses, and pretty much everything, including the koalas and the kangaroos, are intent on murdering you. Well, koalas are awfully cute until they wake up, and then they have these big razor claws, and then they tear the you know the strips off of you, and then you're like. They're not cute anymore. <laughs> I don't want to hand it back. Hand it back, mummy. Don't want it anymore. Um, and yeah, the other thing is that people think that kangaroos hop down the main street um, or even around the corner from where you live. And then you think, oh, that is such a ridiculous stereotype. And then literally three days ago, I'm driving up like two blocks from my house and there's a kangaroo in the middle of the road. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, about that. Um, yeah, hmm. about that. Never anyway, I, I'm taking, I'm already taking this, this show terrible <laughs> places that have nothing to do with what we're trying to discuss. So I apologize. Well, it's, it's tangentially related. Okay. Um, but anyhow, okay. That's, it's fine. It's all good. Um, the thing that I found really fascinating, actually, and I say fascinating as in ridiculous, about the definition of what one meter was be is that they figured, this is their rationale, that one meter was supposed to be one ten millionth of the distance from the North Pole to the equator along a meridian that intersected with Dunkirk in France and Barcelona in Spain. Who the heck came up with that as an idea yeah. for measure? I mean, really? Can you imagine walking that and measuring it and then getting to the end and thinking, oh, it was at 1,158,227 or 226. You know, it's like... Yeah, that's weird. 
Yeah, and, and the, the the obvious thing is they got it wrong. They measured it wrong. <laughs> so, like, of course. So they, they actually didn't correctly account for the curvature of the planet because the world's not a perfect sphere. And I think at the time they didn't appreciate that. And they probably miscounted steps or something. I don't know. But anyway, so... um. The thing, though, is that the measurement of what, what actual distance is one meter has remained one meter for the past 215 years, which is kind of good, I guess. But, you know, it was supposed to be simple, but I don't know. Anyway, so, um, but every other key unit needed to be derived from the meter. So, like, um, they said every other thing. So, grams were based on a cube of 0.01 meters, which is one centimeter, or 10 millimeters, just shift your decimal point, uh, and you fill that with water, and then that's a gram. Uh, and technically that was referred to as a cubic decimeter of water. But the thing was, the water was measured at the temperature of melting ice initially. Uh, but, you know, during the, the first half or so of the 20th century, um, one kilogram of purest water at its highest density was found to be at four degrees Celsius, not zero. So even that was not quite right initially. And <laughs> it's going well, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, so... Because and because the volume of liquid determined by the purity of it, they learned later an isotropic composition. So you know you look at like heavy water, like it's got deuterium or mm. or tritium in it. Um, that means it's heavier water. So you then they said, well, we'll take a water sample at Vienna, because like Vienna's pretty or something. I don't know. Anyway, and they're going to call that <laughs> standard mean ocean water, which is pure distilled with an isotropic composition that was naturally found at that part of the ocean. <sighs> okay. Yeah. yeah, I know it's great, isn't it? Uh, the more you dig into this, the more insane it sounds. Anyhow, um, so 1799, the French made it official uh, and they made it a compulsory law by 1840. Uh, but in 1875, this is where things get interesting um, because in 1875, there was like what they called the Convention of the Meter and it was signed by 17 countries, including, drumroll, the United States. What? And that's what people... I know, right? People don't think that, but it's true. So, by 1900, there were 35 nations that officially adopted the metric system, not the United States. In 1960, the General Conference on Weights and Measures, I bet that was a laugh a minute, extended the simplified convention to include things like meter, kilogram, second ampere for electric current, Kelvin uh, for thermodynamic temperature, the mole and the candela for luminous intensity and brightness of light and all that kind of thing. And they all refer to all these as the SI units, System International, the units, mm -hmm. International System. And that, that's what we all got taught, like when we were going through school. Well, actually, well, I was. I'm pretty sure you were too when you did your, um, when you were studying. Is that right? SI units? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that was all like 1960. But the interesting fact that was buried in all of that was that since 1893, um, all of the non-metric units in the United States of America were actually defined in terms of metric units and people just didn't realize it. So an inch was defined based on how many fractions of a meter it was. So the base unit was really? actually... Yeah, I know. I did not know that. That's crazy, isn't it? See, I told you, ignorant American. <laughs> now, now. But I um, mean, hey, in fairness, um, I was researching this and um, that was one thing that I didn't know either. So I only learned that a few weeks ago, but never mind. It's huh. fine. So there you go. But still, um, imperial distance. So it's, now, it's, now it's time for the you know, USA. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. but um, the thing is that a lot of the, the terminology came across from the old country to the UK. So it gets a little bit confusing where it started. 
And so there's no question the United States is still using it, but it didn't necessarily all start there. So, all right, so yards and miles, and there've been different definitions of the mile from countries all in history, going back as far as the Ottoman Empire, Saxons, Hungarians, Portuguese, Russians, Croatians, German, Dutch, Scottish, Welsh, Irish, Old English and the English statute mile. They all have different definitions of how long a mile is, which is really frustrating. But anyway, they finally agreed internationally, and this is the funny part, in 1959, that was when they finally re um, agreed that 1,609 metres or uh, 354 millimetres and 354 millimetres long would evenly contain 1,760 <laughs> yards, which is 5,280 feet. 280 feet, yep, yep, yep. Yes. Now, I could tell you exactly how many feet it is, and I would have to do, you know, the mental math to get yards out of it. But, uh, yeah, yeah 5,280 feet, you learned that in grade school. Pretty quick. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and that's it, right? Because you've got to do that calculation a few times. It just becomes like a times table. So once you learn it, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, no big deal. Yep. So, and the funny thing is there's also nautical miles, which are a totally different measure, which that really rocked my world when I was in grade school or maybe, I don't know, middle or, or perhaps even high school, whatever. Nautical miles entered my worldview. And, and I and I realized that a land mile is apparently not the same, or I guess a statute, I believe is the official term for it. A, yes. a, a, a statute mile is not the same as a nautical mile. And they're, they're different enough to be annoying, but not different enough to be considerably different. Yeah, exactly. And I and I started digging into nautical miles and I'm like, "Oh man, this is doing my head in. I'm going to I'm going to draw a line there." So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. But the US statute mile just on that one, for example, has been retained for land surveying um since about post 1959. Uh and despite the metric metricization oh, what's the right word? Metricization. <laughs> Yeah, that you're world. on your own on that one. Yeah, I don't know either. Anyway, um, most of the world in the US and the UK still retain the mile as their standard unit of measurement for large scales. So that's okay. Uh, but even more annoying, though, is that in some US states, they'll define a statute mile conversion to use for land surveys and legislate it, but some don't legislate it at all. So whether or not the statute mile applies depends on what state you're in. <sighs> anyway, um, never mind. Given that um, there's so many definitions by so many different countries, I just want to quickly just talk about the UK mile, and it's mainly because that's where it all started. At least the most predominant usage in the world that remains came from that. And that was originally in 1593 by good old Queen Elizabeth. And this is where we have to talk about furlongs, Casey. Oh, goodness. Yeah, that, that to me is a uniquely UK thing. Like, I, I know it's a unit of measure, but mm. that is not something I ever really hear in the States. That, that strikes me as a uniquely British thing. Um, just honest question, just curious. Uh, just curious. Um, do you follow horse racing at all? No, um, there used to be a a like second or third tier horse racing track about an hour east of where I live. And I did go mm. and casually bet on horses a couple of times just as like a fun diversion. Um, mm -hmm. But but outside of that, I never, ever, ever pay attention to it. There is the Triple Crown in the United States, which is the Kentucky Derby and two other ones, yep. Preakness and I forget what the other one is. Belmont, maybe. Uh, anyway, mm. it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that that even for people like myself who pay zero attention to horse racing that typically gets at least a little bit of you know traditional media coverage particularly if the same horse has won two of the three and the and the final one is coming up because that's the 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 genesis of triple or the the meaning of triple crown if they win all three of these like top tier horse races and so if if you know 
secretariat or whoever is the the horse that is is has won two of the three and then the the last one is coming up people will typically pay attention to that and and if people are from the kentucky area like sometimes you'll see a kentucky derby party even in in virginia the state in which i live if if you know somebody like a friend of mine his family was from kentucky and so he would throw a big kentucky derby party every year just on account of his heritage but uh but yeah i i do recognize furlong as as being somehow loosely associated with that but i couldn't tell you the specifics yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, in Australia, our, our equivalent of that of uh, something like the Kentucky Derby would be the uh, the Melbourne Cup, and they call it the race that stops the nation. And it's like um, I, I always quite enjoy Melbourne Cup because it's an excuse to get some work done because everyone else in the office disappears <laughs> off into the corner. I'm like, oh, they're not bugging me anymore. Excellent, time to get some work done. But anyway, yeah. So the, the reason I brought it up is because, as you say, yes, furlong is actually still used in horse racing um, as a as a measurement, and it's like okay. That's that's kind of weird, but anyhow, <laughs> the furlong has forty poles, um, forty poles. Okay, and a pole is a unit of measure, right? And a pole is sixteen and a half feet long. I mean, obviously. And, yeah. How could it not be? Oh, I mean, obviously. And of course, that becomes divisible um, into and def- definable by miles and yards and all that stuff, right? So, oh, good god. So, if you want to do that sort of math, you could say um, furlongs are six hundred and sixty feet long, two hundred twenty yards. Uh, or three feet, because it's three feet to a yard. If you assume 25.4 millimeters to an inch, 12 inches to a foot, one furlong is 201.168 meters. And hence, five furlongs is about one kilometer. (sighs) Anyway, there you go. Uh, And the foot measurement, just one last thing about the foot measurement, up to the 13th century was the North German foot, as opposed to the South German foot, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, and then there there was a slightly shortened... Um, rod length that was 15 of the old feet, but it was upgraded to the 16 and a half new feet. And it's just like, oh my God. Anyway, so 1985, the furlong was abolished in the UK, but oddly, it's still used around the world. So for horse racing, so go figure. But anyway, <sighs> all right. I think I think it's, uh, it's time to get heavy. That was a really bad joke. I'm going to talk about mass now. So, it's <laughs> just so bad. Right Casey's like, I did what? not give you the no, no, no. That was a much better joke than I gave you zero credit for. <laughs> I did. I was, I was debating with myself whether or not I really wanted to get into uh, get into a kilometer, kilometer versus uh, mile argument, and I, and I was deciding I don't think it's worth no. it. And I did not give that joke the credit it deserved. My apologies. <laughs> oh, do apologies. It was a horrible joke, and that's fine. It's okay. Uh, Imperial. So I, I talked briefly about the derivation of a, of, a, of a gram and I found that to be so tenuous. But this is even more tenuous, okay? This is imperial mass. I'm talking about pounds now. So 16 ounces in a pound. And the US actually defined the pound, and I say finally they did because there were a whole bunch of attempts prior to 1894, but it was 1894 when they actually said that it was going to be 2.20462234 pounds to one kilogram. And that's derived. That's derived directly from something that I'm gonna. I'm totally gonna mess this one up. I think it's pronounced the Avoirdupois pound. It doesn't sound English at all, but apparently it was from 1300 no. England. But it was called the woolen pound, which I also don't get why. Anyway, so England went through a whole bunch of these pound definitions. So there's like the Troy pound, the Tower pound, Merchant pound, and oddly there was one called the metric pound that is in fact not metric. But never mind. It's okay. <laughs> this isn't confusing at all. But none of those survived. And the Avoirdupois pound uh, has been around the longest. Uh, although Troy pounds is actually still used for precious metals. Um, so when they're weighing out like gold or platinum or something like that, that sometimes they'll, they'll quote that in Troy pounds. 
so I don't have, I, I don't, ugh, I don't know what else to say about about pounds except that that's just, oh, man. Yeah, I mean pounds, pounds are, pounds are weird, right? Because I feel like for most reasonable things that you would want to measure the what I would call weight of, which I know this comes into like a a, a really nerdy conversation of of weight versus mass, and and I'm not intending to go there, but um, for for the average weight, so. A pound, I feel like, is a pretty neat unit of measure in and of itself. Um, an average, Amer- um, an, an average uh, adult male will weigh between 150 and 200 pounds. Uh, maybe an American weighs 250. <laughs> but anyway, um, but you know, an average adult male will weigh between 150 and 200 pounds. An average car will be between 3,000 and 4,000 pounds. Um, I don't know, an average serving of uh, McDonald's slash Macca's is probably 15 pounds. No, not really. What the um, hell is a Macca's? I, I, yeah, <laughs> the, the McDonald's. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it make sense for you, man. Oh, man. Um, so, it, but, but uh, all kidding aside, I feel like a pound is a pretty decent unit of measure in and of itself. The, the place where a pound falls down is converting it to anything else in the world. Yeah. Um, it, or I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have used that phrasing. To anything else within the imperial system. Like you said, 16 ounces to a pound. I, I half the time I need to remember that I forget. Um, and then there's a couple other conversions that I'm drawing a blank on that are equally just completely ridiculous. And so this is why most Americans, when they talk about the uh, the the tubes that you can talk to or your or, or the robot in your phone that you can speak with, I'm trying not to use the official terms here so I don't trigger any of them. You know, a lot of the times an American will say, oh, you've got to get this because you can just shout out a conversion, you know. Hey, lady in the cylinder, how many ounces in a pound or, you know, how many ounces do I need for four pounds or whatever the case may be? And and it's partially because weights and 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 volume measures are so bananas in America that that's such a compelling selling point for these cylinders that talk to you. Yeah, that's true. It's like one problem. One problem because of the the unit conversions makes this product so much more useful and and, and almost a requirement. Mm Uh, it's 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 a good point, and I um the thing about with weights when you were saying before about about we- units of um measure like people how much people weigh. So for example, you said 150 200 pounds average American. The funny thing is actually like you said jokingly maybe 250 pounds, but the thing is that Australia has um as much of an obesity problem. I just like to add as North America does statistically. So um yeah, it's we we, we like way too much fast food here as well. It's kind of a problem, but anyhow, <laughs> never mind. Another conversation for another day. Now, do you guys use do you guys use stone? Like, because is that a British thing to use stone? Like, I'm 14 stone or whatever the case yeah, may be. We don't predominantly anymore. If we've when when they brought in um, the metric system here in the in the late uh, late 50s, early 60s, we went away from stone. But if you bought a, a, a you know the old an old traditional spring and dial scale that you would stand yeah, yeah. on, mm-hmm. you you would see on the inner track that there would be this thing called stone. And I'd look at that and I'm like, oh, okay. Is that how many stones I put on this thing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it, and I found out later, yeah, you're right. It's a UK um, measurement of, of weight. But no, we typically haven't used it, although you can still, most scales, if you buy the traditional ones, will we'll still have it. But yeah. So you typically would measure yourself in kilograms? Yes. So, yeah. So for us, it'd be like um, 70 to um, 100 kilograms or something like that might be considered, you know, un- well, 100 kilos, depending on how tall you are and all those other caveats, but yeah. Sure, sure, but, sure. You know. But and, and cars is another one you brought up. And for, so you said 3,000, 4,000 pounds. 
so for us, you know, we'd say, oh, about, you know, one and a half to two tons. So, you know, like a two ton, you'd be looking at a four wheel drive or a, or a big, big pickup truck or a ute, whatever you want to call it. Uh, whereas a one and a half mm. tons is pretty much the upper limit for a compact car or a, um, maybe a midsize car, midsize family car. Um, I had a car once that was under a ton. It was a, uh, I called it the silver bullet. It was actually a Daewoo Matiz and you probably don't know that one because it's a very limited production run and Mm-mm. Daewoo don't exist anymore. So it doesn't matter, but this thing was tiny and it was very- Oh, Daewoo. Daewoo. Yes. Oh, you still got them? Yes. We, do, we did have, well, we don't need more, I don't believe, but we certainly have had Daewoo at some point point. Okay. Um, and they were not particularly well regarded or uh, around no. uh, America. No, it, my, my car was special insofar as when they ran it through the um, the NCAP safety rating, it, uh, it came out with one star out of five, which was not- Good. Oh, delightful. Not good. <laughs> um, I called it the silver bullet because it struggled to keep up at 110 kilometers an hour, which is 60 miles an hour or thereabouts. Uh, it struggled <laughs> badly. And if there was a headwind, it really struggled. <laughs> so it was it was a silver bullet mm-hmm. because it wasn't a bullet. That uh, was the joke. Anyway, um, never mind. I got rid of that car, thank goodness. And now I've got a Honda Jazz and I love my Honda. So there you go. Anyway. Oh, yeah. That's the Fit to us, I believe. The Honda Fit. If yes, it is. Same car, just different yes, name. Yes, it is. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And it's it's a great car. You know, it's I, I it's very reliable. It's way overdue for a service and it's still running. So that's my measure of, yes, it's good. It's a good car. <laughs> <laughs> has the oil ever been changed? In? Uh, um, next question. I, I, yeah, actually, I think it has. <laughs> oh, no, no, it has. It has. It has. <laughs> I got it new. So it's like, you know, the, but, well, the first, because you know how when, you, when you're wearing a new engine, you get all the burrs and all that other gunk. Um, for the first mm-hmm. 5,000 cans mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, it's had a new filter and new new oil change at least once maybe after that, but it hasn't had fresh oil in probably about what, 14, 15 months, and it's done about 25,000 And yeah, the funny thing is, I was about to ask you how many miles are on it, then it occurred to me that's, that's well, it's not got, really going to work. No, it's, this is the whole problem with that with, with this topic, isn't it? It's like it's it's real time. <laughs> this is why it sucks having two systems. So I'm trying to get a common language yeah. here. So we got seventy two thousand Ks, which I think it would be around about forty thousand miles, maybe forty five thousand miles. That's right, forty five thousand. Yeah. yeah. I just roughly did that in my head, so because I couldn't be bothered getting my calculator and. Uh, it's fine. Anyway, right. Okay, cool. <sighs> Car talk. Anyway, so um, I want to talk about time now because I'm. I just. I want to leave that that mess that is mass behind me, and move on to time. And time is one of the weirdest ones, right? And it's weird because everyone goes on about metric, and never no one stops to think about time, and. And it annoys me. And I know I'm getting old and I'm getting more annoyed at stuff, and that's just the thing. I'm sorry, <laughs> but but here's the here's the thing that's bugged me. Two thousand BC. The Egyptians, they were the ones that set us on this course. And they were the ones, the first recorded culture. Okay, maybe there was an unrecorded culture before that that did this, but they were the first recorded culture. And they split the day and night into 12 equal segments. But the problem was they didn't correct for seasons. So each day, an hour was slightly longer or shorter, depending upon if you're heading to or away from the next solstice, right? So it's like, why would you do that? that so an hour was never an hour. It, it, this is crazy. But anyway, all right. So um, anyway, so over the, over the years, there have been lots of different definitions of time. And the one that eventually won was called um, uh, MKS, meter kilogram second. Uh, and the other one that was similar was um, centigram, centimeter gram second, CGS. And they defined one second as 186,400th of a mean solar day. So at least they got that bit right than an average day. They figured that out. That's That's good to know. But anyhow, so 
in 19, by 1956, it was redefined as a fraction of a specific year because that was when they realized that an average day isn't an average day because an average day has an average year and you've got to have a leap year with an extra day to compensate because it's just, ugh. anyway. So it gets even more annoying. I'm not going to go into that because that just got really irritating. Uh, but anyway, the second was redefined in 1967. It was a pivotal moment because they decided that they would do a measurement of how many transitions between the levels two levels of the ground of a ground state of cesium at absolute zero or near absolute zero. And that's what they use as the basis for atomic clocks. And if anyone really cares, and they probably don't, but here it is anyway, um, how many oscillations? There were 9,192,631,770 periods of radiation. And that is how you count one My second. Word. That's easy to remember, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So of course, um, you know that's why the most accurate clocks that we can we we have are atomic clocks. And anyway, so rather than dwell on that, here's my problem because I said I had a problem. Eighty six thousand four hundred seconds in a day, twenty four hours in a day. So that's three thousand six hundred seconds in an hour, sixty minutes in an hour. So that's sixty seconds in a minute. None of it is divisible by ten. None of it. Yeah, it it's totally bananas. Yeah, uh, I think. And the funny thing is, is that as a uh, software developer, um, one of the most frustrating things in the entire world is working on anything that relates to time because it just is impossible to get right. And just earlier today, um, I don't, I'll have to see if I can dig it up and, and I can have you put it in the show notes, John, but a uh, developer uh, evangelist at Apple um, wrote a post about, or actually, I think made a whole website that was basically every, oh yeah, here it is. Your calend calendrical fallacy is. Um, and so it just goes through all these different things that you assume to be true that are wrong. So your calendrical fallacy is thinking days are 86,400 seconds long. False. Even if you live in a place that doesn't have daylight savings time, which is perhaps a uniquely American thing, you are subject to rogue leap seconds that get inserted into our calendars every now and then. And it just goes on and on and on. Days are 24 hours long. Well, not always. An hour will never occur twice in a single day. Well, not always. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And and it's a perfect example of why uh, doing anything that relates to time when you're a developer is just infuriating because there's almost no way to get it right. You can get close, but you'll never get it right. Yeah, no, exactly right. And and that's not even considering time zones, which are even more frustrating. And I mean, oh I mean, yeah, that's that does my head in. And I, yeah, it is really really frustrating. And the the thing that um, the other thing that was interesting is that um, time is not it's not met because okay. My issue, I guess, I just want to get back to the whole point of my issue of with time is that everyone says, yeah, the rest of the world's on metric, uh, metric system. It's like, well, yeah, but time's not metric. So as soon as you introduce time into any of your metric metricizations, it's no longer metric because you have to then have a weird-ass conversion to go from seconds to minutes <laughs> to hours to days. So suddenly your beautiful metric system just fell apart every time you relate to time. Mm -hmm. So anything you said, meters per second, kilometers per hour, miles miles per hour, at least that's imperial imperial, whereas you've got metric imperial. <laughs> for, for, so it's like I've, I've, I've diluted my metric goodness by adding in some, an, an, a non-metric measure. It's like, well, ugh, great, that went well. So it's actually, technically, it's, it's a 160th of something is referred to as like a sexagesimal system, which, you know, depending upon the teenager in, inside of you could be interpreted as something else. But the point is that that's weird. It's not base 10 <laughs> and I don't get it. So anyway, 
these blended measures. And it all started because the Egyptians decided to split the daylight into 12 pieces because they just did. And I don't know why. And no one knows why they just did. Why 12? Why not 10? It would have been just as meaningless anyway. So anyway, all right. So so is there an accepted decimal version of time that perhaps like the scientific community uses or is it just we're on our own on this one? Yeah, see, this is the thing is I, I dug into this uh, years ago and the thing that set me off digging into metric time because it's technically, um, you're right, actually, it's funnily enough, it's actually called decimal time, as you said, not, not metric time because metric, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway. But yeah, so it is decimal time. It was actually an episode of The Simpsons where um, I think it was called they they saved Lisa's brain or something like that, and uh, it was when the Menzies Society took over Springfield and they said now all the trains are running on time but they're running on metric time and you saw a, a clock with with like one to ten on it. Um, it's one ten one tenth of a, an hour after a, or whatever else. It was just ridiculous, right? But I say it's ridiculous because I'm used to hours, minutes, seconds being being 60, 60, mm-hmm. whatever. But the truth is that no, there isn't. There have been a few suggestions of how it could be done, but nothing has ever taken off. And the, I guess the problem is that, well, there's a whole bunch of problems, but everything's based on the second. And thinking about how hard it would be to change the definition of one second, it's you can't call it the same thing anymore. And if you did, just imagine all of the GPS satellites would be wrong. All of our phones, mobile phone synchronization, all that would, would, wouldn't would work anymore. All of our computers, anything with a real-time clock in it, which is practically everything that's electronic these days. I mean, even my coffee machine, it's like got a timer, a real-time clock in it. That would be, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, how do you... It's just, it boggles the mind. So no, I just keep thinking about it. The opportunity to fix the second has gone forever i think it's just too hard now because everything is all based on a second and real-time clocks but anyway i don't know man i mean a lot of other countries have ripped the band-aid off off successfully and gone from imperial to metric obviously uh the u.s failed pretty hard on that one but never you never know maybe we'll try again one one year (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe if we can agree on a a decimal year um so exactly (laughs) um but yeah anyway so the the funny thing i was thinking is how would you draw a clock because um you know, because if you look at a normal clock, it's like 1 to 12 or 1 to 24, I guess, if you've got a, a um, military time clock, I guess. Um, or, but with the um, <clears throat> with the sexagesimal bit, you've got 60, uh, so 60 increments on the outside, but that wouldn't work anymore. So it'd be, you know, 0 to 10, 0 to 10, 0 to 10. And then you have to have some measure of um, decaseconds, hectoseconds, Kiloseconds. It, yeah, no kidding, right? It just—it sounds hard. It's a mouthful, and it's just ugh. And you finally end up with something like four kiloseconds is the equivalent of sixty-six point six six minutes, or one point one one hours. And ninety-six kiloseconds is twenty-six point six six hours, which is just over twenty-four hours. And at that point, you just give up and you say, "No, too hard." Yeah, that just does not sound fun at all. And I think that to to your point, a lot of that just has to do with what we're used to. But ugh, that just, ugh, I don't even want to think about it. That's it. So, and, and, and the other problem would be you'd have to update expressions. So you'd say, hey, I'll catch you in a hectosecond. That's about a minute or two. <laughs> and, and McDonald's or Macca's is open um, 86 kiloseconds, seven, because you can't say 24-7 anymore. Anyway, never mind that. I think I'm done with time, like literally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm saving, I think, the best for last. And that's temperature. Because ah, people get very hot under the collar about this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I do too. Yeah, it's just really bad too. But anyway, all right. 
So. Oh, God, the second time I totally blanked. I am <laughs> letting you down, John. These are much, much, much better jokes than I am giving you any credit for. <sighs> God, I'm a terrible co-host. It's, it's, it's okay. <sighs> it's all good. Okay. So, um, there are two dominant scales for temperature. Um, I think everyone probably knows. So, we've got Celsius or centigrade, and I'll get to that right, in a minute. and the good one. And, and <laughs> the good one? What was that? Fahrenheit. Yeah. This is the good I see. Yes. Okay. No comment yet. So, Celsius was named after <laughs> Anders Celsius to honour him in 1948. But funnily enough, it was actually called centigrade before that. Uh, and centigrade actually makes sense because that's what it is. Centre meaning 100 and grade as in a grade, gradient. So, 100 grades. Um, so, centigrade was equal intervals between 0 and 100. Uh, Celsius, funnily enough, the, the man himself developed a similar scale in the 1700s, but there was one minor and really important difference. It was back to front. So zero was boiling point and 100 was freezing point. What? I know. And so then they named centigrade after Celsius, but they actually did the scale the centigrade way around. So I don't get it. But anyway, never mind. So the magnitude of a degree Kelvin is the same as that for a degree Celsius. But Kelvin was set, defines absolute zero as negative 273.15 degrees Celsius. Absolute zero meaning there's no molecular movement and all that physics stuff. Great. So that's the <laughs> oddly odd, but apparently supposedly better scale um, from the scientific community. Now, Fahrenheit, on the other hand, um, how much do you know about who came up with Fahrenheit? Just curious. I would assume it's somebody whose surname is Fahrenheit. Yes. And then because I assume that and you're asking, oh, I was waiting for you to be like, haha, no, that was a trick no, question. No, it's not a trick question. No, it actually really was Mr. Fahrenheit. Yes. Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit. And he proposed the scale where zero degrees was the temperature of an equal mixture of ice and salt, which is readily available ingredients that you could put together. And 100 degrees Fahrenheit would be the average human body temperature, presumably when that person wasn't sick. Presumably. <laughs> However, due to difficulties in accurately repeating some of those measurements in the 1900s, it was re refined, redefined, tweaked, however you want to think about it, where 32 degrees Fahrenheit was the freezing point of water and the boiling point of water was set to... That's... 212. Yes. Awesome. Uh, of course, that's at mean sea level, one atmosphere of pressure and all that other good stuff, right? So the whole scale is therefore 180 degrees apart for that that area of measurement. Now, during the 1960s, oh my God, I never realized that. God, I am an ignorant American. I, I mean, I knew I knew 32, I knew 212, yep. but I never did that math to realize 180 is the difference. Yeah, huh, today I learned. But you see, the thing is that that's the resolution that makes the difference. So this is the thing. So during the okay, during the 1960s, most of the countries in the world, except of course our beloved United States, switched from Fahrenheit to Celsius as part of their metrification got it out that time, um, of their units of measure. Nice. There you go. But the thing is, I thought about this, right? Um, pragmatic's all about, like, what's the most, what are the practical applications of these things? Not so much the humanness. And this is where, I guess, I need your help. Because, honestly, um, it, the problem with temperature is that when it comes to measuring how things feel for individuals, for human beings, how they feel... Which is really the better measure, Celsius or Fahrenheit? So there, yeah, it's tough, right? So um, I actually wrote and never published a blog post about this. Um, I don't know, maybe six months, eight months ago, something like that. 
uh, I had gotten in my brain, well, and I still mean, and I still think to this day that Fahrenheit is unequivocally the superior measure of ambient air temperature when conversing between two humans, which is, I think, what you were alluding to. In every other way, I think that metric is better, that Celsius, centigrade, however you'd like to phrase it, or if you really want to be bananas, Kelvin is the better approach for anything that is not what's it feel like outside. And the reason I feel this way is because I feel like Fahrenheit just really, really eloquently splits into 10 degree bands. So anything less than 30, it's really freaking cold. 30 to 40, it's pretty cold. You're definitely going to need a winter coat. 40 to 50, you're going to need a serious jacket, but maybe not something that you would absolutely describe as a coat, you know, not something that quite thick. Once you hit 50 degrees, you're getting into, you know, this is okay weather. 60 to 70, really good 70 to 80, probably perfect, especially if you just get that nice little, you know, like summertime breeze going. North of 80, you're getting into really hot. So 80 to 90, you're you're getting into uncomfortable. Um, and, and for the record, room temperature is usually between 70 and 72 in that neck of the woods. So above above 80, you're getting hot. Above 90, unequivocally hot. Above 100, you need to move because that's like Australia, for example. I mean, what? Um, <laughs> or you're in Nevada. So, yeah, ex- exactly right. And so because of that, I feel like they're there. And I'm, I probably am not doing the best job kind of verbalizing these different bands. But the idea is in most places in the United States, most of the time you will not. And someone will probably write you, John, or write me and tell me how wrong I am. But in 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 most places. You won't typically get too much below 30. Now, somewhere like Minnesota, which is at the very top of the United States, can be well below 30 for large swaths of time. But the average America doesn't get too much below 30, doesn't get too much above 90 to 100, generally speaking. And so, like I said, in these 10 degree increments, you have these really nice bands. And I feel like there you can tell the difference between a couple of degrees. So if you're in your car and you set what we would call your air conditioning or AC, what I would presume you would call air con. And if you set that to 72, that might be a little too cold, but 73 may be just right. And I, and I'm not being flippant or silly. I'm really being serious. And I wrote this whole post about how this is clearly the way, clearly the way to do anything else is just silly. A hundred is the maximum comfort level of any regular human being And zero is the minimum that you could survive without putting on like Arctic Explorer wear. So you have this perfect 100 degree scale that's kind of like a percentage of how nice it is. And again, room temperature is about 70, give or take a little bit. In writing this blog post, however, I did the conversions from 20 degrees Fahrenheit to whatever the equivalent is in Celsius, from 30 to whatever the equivalent is, from 40 to whatever the equivalent is. And the truth of the matter is it round it it was roughly five degrees Celsius for each of my 10 degree Fahrenheit bands. And it was in writing that post that it occurred to me that the reason I hate I hate Celsius so much. Well, there's two reasons. One, I think it's absolutely ridiculous to need a decimal point. But two, um, it's just because I'm not used to it. And as much as I will defend Fahrenheit to the death, because I do think for ambient air temperature alone, it is the much more a, a much more reasonable scale. If I had grown up with Celsius, 
I don't think I'd mind it too much. I still think it's crazy or it, it's it's weird, I should say, is a better word for it. It's weird to see a decimal point on, say, a car's air conditioning. You know, well, I, I don't want 20. I want 20.5. Thank you very much. But other than that, I... I would assume that you're about to tell me that my 10 degree bands are roughly your five degree bands. Is that fair? Well, yeah. Um, I think you might just be surprised actually. Cause I, um, when I, okay. So let's, the way I look at this is the livable range and you kind of touched on this quite a bit is that I'd say roughly between 15 degrees Celsius and 35 degrees Celsius. And that's sort of, most temperate or subtropical or tropical regions of the world would sit somewhere in that band most of the year as their daytime temperatures or the temperature that you would have in an office building or a, or a house, so your, your dwelling or whatever else. So that's sort of your the temperature range. Yes, there will be colder. Yes, there will be hotter, depending upon if you live in, like you said, Nevada or some parts out west in Australia, or um, whether or not you live on top of uh, in Aspen. I don't know who lives in Aspen, but anyway, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. high up in the Rocky Mountains uh, and such. But um, that that that's in Fahrenheit is between sixty degrees Fahrenheit and ninety five degrees Fahrenheit. And if you do the math, it's it's because of that scale, it's roughly um, two to one. So there's forty increments in Fahrenheit over that temperature range, but in Celsius, there's only twenty increments over that range. And that that level of of range precision and that resolution in that livable range makes it far easier to describe. Uh, exactly. So if I say low 20s or sorry, low 30s or high 30s, it, it means um, there's a subtle message that's conveyed in that because of that resolution. Whereas if I'm talking in in Celsius and I say it's low 30s, which is kind of getting warm to, to high 30s, it's like that's getting scorching hot and we're still in... Oh, you know my I mean? word. Yeah, I'm doing these conversions as you're talking. So yeah. 30 degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit is 86, which I would describe as getting into serious yeah. discomfort getting like warm. It, it's it's definitely hot yeah. it's definitely definitely hot but you could be outside without you know it, as long as you're not running a marathon or something and be sure. okay yeah. big hat 40 degrees celsius however yeah big hat exactly 40 degrees celsius is 105 or 104 strictly speaking fahrenheit and that's really friggin hot like you do not want to be outside if you don't have to be no. at 104 degrees fahrenheit definitely not no, exactly right. And but the thing is, it's the resolution. And and another thing that you hit on in there was the decimal point, like the half a degree on um, mm-hmm. the air conditioning system or the air con. Yeah, that's true. We do call it air con. But anyway, um, <laughs> yes. But the thing is, as a controls as a controls uh, programmer, and uh, I've worked with. Oh, here we go. <laughs> okay. So all right, fine. Uh, seriously, how can you control the internal temperature of your vehicle? To within half a degree Celsius or even one degree Fahrenheit, really, this same, you know, same measurements. Like, how how is that even possible to accurately do that consistently? And the answer is, it's not. It's like that's your target temperature, and it's going to vary plus or minus one or two degrees Fahrenheit or Celsius. So why the hell would you have the option to go at half degree half degree Celsius in- increments or even one degree Fahrenheit in increments? Why don't you just go up in even numbers? You know, like 50, 52, 54, because you're being disingenuous to the mm-hmm. pe- person driving the car. It's like, yes, my car can accurately pr- go to five decimal places in temperature and control. No, it can't. It can't. It's not possible. <laughs> so, you know, I just... Well, let me, let, me pitch, let me pitch an answer to that question, even though I think you're absolutely right. Sure. I think some of that is placebo effect. So, oh, I've turned it down, thus it will get colder, thus I must feel better already. Also... 
it it's giving a hint to the now software in the car that whatever you're doing right now, it's either too much or not enough. So if it's a summer day and I turn the temperature down from 73 to 72 in my car, that's a hint to the software running the aircon in the car. You need to do more of whatever it is you're doing, because obviously the, the human, you know, the squishy occupant inside wants more air conditioning to come out of the vents. And yeah. so I agree with you that it's probably not making an empirical difference in in measured air temperature. And it, it may be just about the same, but it's giving a hint to the computer. I want more, please. Yeah, that that, that is a good point. And I guess I, yeah. It's it's a feedback control loop, right? So you know that's the way exactly, I exactly exactly. But, but the way that it may be implemented, maybe it isn't. Maybe it's, there's a little bit more subtlety to it. But uh, but in any case, look, I take your point. I also think it's ridiculous that you have 0.5 of, of a degree Celsius as an option. I think that's crazy. My my Jazz or Honda Fit, whatever, um, it only goes up in full degree Celsius increments, and um, you know, and it works. Oh, interesting. Works just fine. Um, whereas my other car is a Toyota and it, it goes up in 0.5 degrees. And I, every time I do it, I'm like, really? Seriously? Okay, <laughs> sure. I'll just bump it up half a degree Celsius anyway. All right. So I think the the point of it is, obviously, to wrap all, all this discussion up about metric and imperial is it comes back to the fact that it is what you're used to, sure. And people say, what's better? And the truth is, it's not necessarily what's better. It's about consistency. And... In terms of what's better and worse, honestly, I don't think, I, I think that metric doesn't make any more or less sense than Imperial does. All that matters is that we can easily convert between different units of measure and Imperial makes that more difficult. And that's the only thing that makes metric better in those respects. But the, where it falls down is the choice of that scale and the resolution of that scale. And it, all of the other measurements, I'm, I'm with you, Casey. I think that, honestly, temperature is for human um, livability is better represented in, in Fahrenheit. And that's simply because the resolution is better. But that said, you know, we've already gone to Celsius selling the world to go, everyone go back to Fahrenheit. is going to be a tough sell. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, yeah, you know, and the funny thing is, when you had asked me to come on the show, uh, I think the first thing I said to you, you had told me what you wanted to talk about. And I think the first thing I said to you was, well, I don't know how interesting I'll be because the the, the real dirty secret is, you know, especially having been educated as an engineer, I think that metric is far and away a, a much better system for everything under the sun, as I said before, except ambient air temperature. And and I don't have any particular love for imperial units. And I think it's really ridiculous that the United States is so self-obsessed or, or, I don't know, pushy that we insist on using imperial units when the rest of the planet uses metric like it's just it's barbaric of us however i will stand by fahrenheit to the to, to the death and and i will hopefully have you put in the show notes a wonderful chart or graph or picture that has float around the internet probably 85 times but it really summarizes the the, the temperature argument and i'm clinging to this so strongly because i have no argument for metric uh, or against metric in any other way uh it says fahrenheit zero degrees to 100 degrees versus Celsius, 0 to 100 versus Kelvin, 0 to 100. And um, Fahrenheit, 0 is labeled as really cold outside. 100 is labeled as really hot outside. Perfect. Celsius, 0, fairly cold outside, 100 degrees, dead. <laughs> versus <laughs> Kelvin, 0 degrees, dead, 100 degrees, dead. Yeah. And so it's 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 a silly chart 
graph, whatever you want to call it. Um, and and it's obviously meant in jest. But I really do think that there's some amount, as with all good jokes, there's some amount of truth behind it. And that just as you said, John, I think in many ways, and I didn't think of it until you said something, but in many ways it does come down to scale. And I think that Fahrenheit has a really good scale that's anchored in a real in a couple of really good spots that makes it really, really great for ambient air temperature. You want to measure the temperature of the oil in your car in Celsius? Have at it. That probably makes a lot more sense. But you want to tell me what to set the air conditioning to? I'll take Fahrenheit, please. Yes. And the the other thing about Imperial is that um, it's funny because I, I thought the whole world is like, yeah, metric, metric all the way. And then I came across this article a little while back um, that spurred me on to want to do this episode as well as you know people asking me to cover it. But in 2007, uh, the European Commission abandoned their requirement for metric-only labeling on packaged goods. And that opened the door again for both dual labeling, so metric and imperial labeling on their goods since that since that time. So it's not the end of of imperial exactly, and it's it's interesting that imperial can still have a place. And honestly, um, metric is not because because like I said before, my biggest frustration with metric is that they didn't take the opportunity to reset the second. Um, Mind you, mind you, had they done that, can you imagine a world where the rest of the world is on uh, decimal seconds and the States is on imperial seconds? Oh, <laughs> no. Good grief. No, please, no. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, and you're probably right in the grand scheme of things, but oh, that just sounds terrible. Now, do you have any knowledge for how the UK works? Because I have watched a, a, an inordinate amount of Top Gear in, in my day, and I feel like they do measure speeds oftentimes in miles per hour yes. and and distances sometimes in miles where my my limited understanding of how the UK works is that it's all metric except in a couple of ways. Do, do you know what I yes, mean? Yes, I know exactly. Do you have any idea? Is, and is Australia like that since you are another uh, uh, colony? Like, is is it all is it all uh, metric where you guys are? So distances are always kilometers. Speeds are always kilometers an hour. Um, the thing with us colonies, right, is we all sort of go off in our own separate ways in the end. So like <laughs> America sort of like thing. gives the middle finger to the UK and says, no, nah, we're going to be our own country. Bye-bye. And um, Canada's mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, we're kind of a bit French and we're kind of a bit, you know, but we're also kind of not. <laughs> and then, of course, Australia's like, right. don't look at us. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. Um, okay. So for us, the weirdest thing is, yes, we are. We are full metric, but you will still hear baby weights called out in pounds and ounces. So when a new baby arrives, you'll still get pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when people's heights huh. are, are, are told, like, for example, I'm, I'm 5'11". So... Um, what? It's like, I'm, I'm told I'm 5'11", right? But my driver's license says it in centimeters. But you can tell people your height in feet and inches. And they, it's still understood. That's so peculiar. I know, it's huh. weird. And in the mining That's... industry and um, and oil and gas industries, we get a lot of the stuff that we, we use from America. So, of course, not surprisingly, it's an imperial. So, we need to learn... You know, oh, how much downhole pressure is this? Oh, that's in foot pounds. And I'm like, is in why? Isn't that Newton meters? <laughs> anyway, yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. it's like so because we trade uh, with America a lot, then we we have to learn some of those basics. So we can't be completely ignorant of of imperial. But in terms of official official, it's metric. But when it comes to cars, all the 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 speedos on our car, um, the the dials all read in kilometers and kilometers per hour, I should say. Now in the in the UK, I believe that uh, the day um their vehicles will have two the two ranges on them. They'll have miles per hour and uh, kilometers per hour. One on the inner track, one on the outer track of the of the gauge. And 
I think that, and that's also the case in North in, in Canada. So I lived in Canada for two and a half years, and when I was there, that was what my car had. And um, the, and the other thing about the Canada that's odd is that um, Canada says, yeah, we're fully metric, and then you go and um, get a a bottle of, um, of of Diet Coke or Pepsi Max or whatever, maybe one with sugar in it. Either way, doesn't matter. And um, and it's it's in fluid ounces, so you got 12, 12 ounce and you know sixteen ounce bottle. And I'm like. Wow, that's okay. When, what, what's going on here? And then I picked up this um, this uh, square of butter, and it's like four hundred and fifty four grams. And I'm like, that's a that's not a very round number. Um, why? <laughs> why? And it's like that's a fraction of a, of pounds, right? So it's like close, but no cigar or something like that. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's it's strange, and maybe it's going to take a few more generations, and and as as us oldies get more old. Uh, older, then you know all those things will eventually fade, and then newborns will become come out at um, uh, two thousand eight hundred eighty grams, and I'll I'll be like, do I, do I? <laughs> it's okay, I can't hear anymore because I'm too old, and then I won't complain. But you know, it, it's it's strange how it works, uh, how it's how it's come come to pass, and it's been a good sixty seventy years since the transition, and yet the imperial uh, measurements can still be found quite uh, quite easily. So it's interesting. Well, and plus, in our all of our media gets shipped overseas for better or worse, and so you, you presumably you're hearing, you know, even if it's just casual things in movies or perhaps music or TV shows where they say, you know, oh that that guy is a he's huge at 350 pounds or whatever the case may yeah. be. Like eventually, I would imagine just by quote unquote osmosis, which I know is not really what it <laughs> is, but anyway, by osmosis you could just kind of pick it up over time. I would imagine, and maybe you don't have a good feel for 350 versus 320 versus 300, but you would at least know. I would assume that if you hear that a human being is 350 pounds, they are not on the smaller side, yeah. <laughs> if nothing else. You know yeah, what I mean? I do. So. Yeah, absolutely right. And so, for example, show titles, like um, my wife sometimes will watch a show called My 600-Pound Life. And it's like, yep, 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 okay, yep. Um, I get the picture, though. It's like very heavy, not good. Um, got <laughs> uh, and then, of course, there's other expressions yep. like uh, the whole nine yards. And it's like, well, what's a yard? Well, that's uh, 0.909 yeah, yeah. meters. And uh, another one I came across with weight was... Um, uh, was a buck fifty, and it's like, what's a buck fifty in terms of in, in terms of weight measurement? And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's like one hundred fifty pounds. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where that comes from, and you don't hear it that often, but you certainly hear it often enough that you know what it means. It, it it's coming back to Top Gear. Like, imagine when I first started watching it, which was my first real exposure to like traditional British. Well, maybe not traditional. That's a poor choice of words. But like a, a stereotypical modern British culture. You know, I imagine how long it took me to understand a quid versus um, a pound versus uh, what's. There's a couple other euphemisms. A grand. Have, in the same way that we have. Yeah, well, but like quid, a quid is a pound, and and a, and a and a pound is a pound, and there's oh shoot, I can't remember. There's another there's another like colloquialism in the same way that we have a buck is a dollar, a dollar is a dollar. Um, Guineas, anyway, of course. Now I'm throwing a blank on <laughs> shillings. Other. I don't know. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but um, but even just like the the various euphemisms for a pound, or in our case, the various euphemisms for a dollar. You know, for example, a buck. Like a buck, that doesn't have any even vague relation to the word dollar yet that's a dollar and so some of those sorts of things you know i've learned by again figuratively speaking osmosis just by being exposed to their media yeah and and i mean for example in australia we don't have a quarter dollar right we don't have a 25 cent piece um we have a 20 cent piece 
Yeah, I know. You guys got quarters. So first time I heard it when I was yeah, a really it's about the only coin that. <laughs> yeah, the the coin the coinage here is barbaric. Another thing that we get wrong, and we have we have single uh, cents, which are pennies. We have five cents, which are nickels. Ten cents, which are dimes. Qu- uh, quarter dollar is a quarter, and that's the stuff you see regularly. But the the fact of the matter is, anything less than one American dollar is basically just splitting hairs at that point, and we we should just get away with coinage entirely. But where yeah. by contrast. You know, Britain has one and two pound coins, uh, which, again, I forget the term for them. Uh, And that actually does make sense. You can actually buy something with a with a, you know, a dollar or two or a pound or two. Well, you used to be able to buy something for it. Never mind. When's that Brexit happening? Uh, Oh, no, (laughs) not going there. But yeah, I mean, in Australia, just on, on coin and coins, and I know that this is a little, not, not exactly on the topic, but it's it's interesting because in Australia, we, we identified that one and two cent pieces were pointless about oh, 15 they years are. ago, 20 years ago, and we got rid of them. Oh, we don't have them anymore. So our, so our lowest coin is a five. So we've got a five cent piece, uh, a 10 cent piece, 20 cents, 50 cents, and then you go up to $1 coin and a $2 coin. And... Um, and it works okay. I I I still think that coinage for um one and two dollars is fine. And after that, you know, like kind of like the UK with the one and two dollar a pound. And also in Canada, which is kind of hilarious, because in Canada they're one dollar and two dollar coins. They call them a loony for one dollar and a toonie mm-hmm. for two dollars, because it's two loony, so it's a toonie. <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. What the hell is a toonie? I get what a loon is. A loon is the name of the duck on the on the front of the one dollar coin. So oh, I didn't know that. I, t- I was in an airport. Yeah. Right in Vancouver, and they and and I needed money to make a phone call because I'd missed my flight, first time in Canada, and I'd never heard any of these things before. And I'm sitting there, and I say, um, "Do you have any change for this five dollar note?" Because I had notes, uh, five dollar Canadian note. And I said, "Oh, um, I don't have any here. I'll just ask this lady over there. Do you have any loonies over there?" And I'm like, "You have any crazy <laughs> people? What? Are you what?" And so anyway, yeah. finally, I got my loony, and I went and made a phone call. But uh, yeah, so the loon on the front, yes, one loon. Uh, two loonies is a toonie and it's like okay it's kind of cool but anyway but yeah after that it's all notes notes all the way and um i mean who needs that when you got apple pay so whatever right yeah exactly yeah that's another thing that you guys get right that we don't is or at least the uk anyway is all in on on um uh nfc payments and and, you know uh, doing payments by the phone and and that's that's something you see sort of here. You actually do see that you see Apple Pay at Macca's, as it turns out. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, we don't we don't really get into that near as much as as I presume Australia and certainly the UK does, and it makes me super jealous. And and in fact, I carry cash on me always, um, and I am one of the only people I know that still does. Pretty much everyone here will use credit cards exclusively and uh, NFC if possible. And and I am a weirdo for carrying any amount of cash. Well, yeah, I'm, I, I don't carry cash in my wallet anymore. There's two reasons. Um, one, I don't ne- have to because I've got like Apple Pay and I've got my cards. And the second reason is if money enters my wallet, my wife has a, a money detector and then she removes it from my wallet. And, that's like, and <laughs> so there you go. It's two levels of, of, of yeah, anyway. So, but that's fine. Um, anyway. All right, I think we might wrap it up. If unless there's anything else you wanted to quickly, uh... no, no, no. This was a lot less violent than I thought it would be, <laughs> which is a good thing. Um, you know, I, I, I'm glad that we agree about Fahrenheit because, uh, to be honest, I wasn't there. Were there were no other hills I was planning on dying on, and it sounds like you, uh, you acquiesced easily on on the on the uh, temperature scale. So I appreciate it. Oh, that's okay. Um, I, I honestly do believe that um, for ambient air temperature, Fahrenheit is a far more granular and and, and more conversable scale. 
Um, but the bottom line is that it's it's from my point of view, I'm stuck with Celsius, and from your point of view, you're stuck with with Fahrenheit all the way down. So it's not just for ambient air. So <laughs> you you win in that respect, and then you lose in your everywhere else, like yep. cooking temperatures and all that other yep. stuff, which is just like. Anyway, it's, it's true. But if you'd like to talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chigi or you can follow at Pragmatic Show to see show announcements and other related stuff. Uh, Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network and you can check out the network and all of its shows at engineered.network. Uh, Causality has recently really taken off and it's a solo podcast that I do that looks at uh, cause and effect of major events and disasters in history. So if you're a fan of this show, you might like that too. So be sure to check it out. Uh, both Causality and Analytical episodes are about 10, 30 minutes each. So they're pretty easy on the ears. Make sure you uh, have a listen. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with Casey, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, mate? Sure. Uh, probably the best way would be on Twitter. I am at Casey Liss, C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S. -S. You can also find some of my uh, writing on CaseyLiss.com. And I'm, in, I'm usually Casey Liss in most other online services. Awesome. All right, cool. And um, if you'd like to send any feedback about the show or the network, please use the feedback form on the website. And that's where you also find show notes for this episode. Uh, if you're enjoying Pragmatic and you want to support the show, you can, like some of our backers, Ivan, Daniel Dudley, and Chris Stone. They and many others are patrons of the show via Patreon, and you can find it at patreon.com slash John Chigi, all one word. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, it's all very much appreciated. So a special thank you to our patrons, a big thank you to everyone for listening, and uh, thanks for, again for coming on, Casey. It's been great. Yeah, thank you, John. I, I, it's always fun to uh, to argue about these innate topics and, and silly things with someone from uh, way across the pond and actually from the future, as we established earlier. So thank you, all, as always. No worries, mate. 